This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 573 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Burton's Dark Knight Returns, Not All Robots or Murderers, The Multiversal's Finest, Crime Does Pay, Who's Afraid of a Kraken, Lemire Goes Meta on Black Hammer, and The Dreaming Raps for now. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, August 15th, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe find somewhere to leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Batman 89, number one of six by Ham, Kononos, and Ito. This has been teased by DC for quite a while, a book set in the world of the Tim Burton, Michael Keaton film. The impact of this film cannot be overstated. Batman was everywhere that year, and it cemented the Dark Knight's top spot at DC, where he remains today. The book begins, appropriately, on Halloween, as D.A. Harvey Dent played by Billy D. Williams in the film, is out on a date with Barbara Gordon. Now, this book takes pains to separate itself from the later films, as Babs is again the commissioner's daughter. He proposes to her and gives her a chance to think about it, giving her a coin, two-headed of course, to help. They happen to be dining at the Janus Club. Suddenly, a figure shoots by the high-rise restaurant. Meanwhile, Summer Gleason, a character from the animated series, is interviewing people on the street about whether they feel safe to trick-or-treat. There's an explosion which leaves some Brinks trucks upended, and a team of Joker cosplayers are up to no good. Here comes the Cape Crusader, who sees the trucks being hoisted up by a military helicopter, which he quickly stops. The Joker boys rain fire on him, which he mostly avoids, partly thanks to a giant penny that rolled off a bank. There's a ton of Easter eggs here. He calls the Batmobile in and makes a getaway, narrowly missing Dent and Babs on the street as they are being robbed. Dent pulls out a gun and debates on whether to shoot the robber. It involves the flip of a coin. The next day, Dent goes to see Bruce Wayne, announcing that he plans to take down Batman, as he feels Batman is causing more harm than good. He's also convinced that Commissioner Gordon is pulling Batman's strings and that there are multiple Batman. Barbara, who's also a police sergeant, pulls some strings and gets Batman stuff out of the evidence locker. Den visits his old neighborhood, and we get a flashback to his mentor telling him he will be a big man. Again, a coin flip is involved. They're really doubling down on this. Dent calls for a vote of no confidence on Gordon. He then uses the bat signal with Detective Bullock to call in Batman, intending to have snipers take him out. Gordon and Batman contact each other, and he tells Bruce to stay off the street for a while. Instead, he tries to stop a robber who turns out to have stolen diapers and food for his kids. 
Batman is attacked by another guy in a suit and finds himself in front of cops ordering him to surrender. That is a lot in a single issue. The artwork is great, and you can definitely see the actors' faces in the characters used. Not All Robots, number one from AWA Upshot by Russell Diodardo Jr. and Lofridge. AWA, Artists, Writers, and Artisans, is a new publisher centered around high-end talent that have gotten a raw deal at the majors. Russell, Straczynski, Cho, Ennis are just some of the people involved. I'm a sucker for Mark Russell's work, Wonder Twins, Second Coming, Billionaire Island, and it's all about social commentary. This book is set in 2056, where humanity has officially screwed up the planet, living in bubble cities with a ruined landscape beyond. Robots have been fully embraced and, in fact, have taken over. Mankind are essentially pets to them. We see a TV news show hosted by robots with a token human on the panel. Robots have all the jobs, and one is assigned to each home. We then check in on a family who is scared of their bot and takes pains to make it feel comfortable when it comes home from work. Please, just leave me alone. Cut to robot workers at a plant that makes other robots. The robot we just met works there and is tired of the job and the family it has to put up with. A buddy robot suggests it just disable his empathy chip. In Bubble Orlando, Disney World Inside a Bubble, there's a robot responsible for climate control. A motivational bot stops by and tells it to do better as it hits the robot over and over. Back to the talk show where we learn the only reason mankind can survive is that the robots desalinate their water and control the climate in the bubbles. The token human mentions robots that glitch and we cut to a home where a robot went nuts and killed its family. Robot cops check it out and see no evidence of criminal activity as the blood-spattered robot opens the door. Back to our original family, the wife contacts Inhuman Resources, asking for a replacement bot. When the IHR bot asks if their bot has ever gotten violent, we get a quick flashback to it attacking the father. But she replies, no. And then a cut to breaking news. Due to a slight change in the climate formula for Bubble Orlando, an elevated level of nitrous oxide was introduced into the city's air supply, killing everyone in the city. So, basically, they died laughing. Could this be the start of a robot revolution? Infinite Frontier, number four of six, by Williamson, Pelletier, Marino, Zermanico, Ratman, Fernandez, and Hi-Fi. Captain Carrot checks in on Machine Head, which we learn is a human who covers himself in armor to hide a ruined body. Meanwhile, President Superman returns to the Earth-23 White House, along with Thomas Wayne of Earth-2. A press secretary notes that people want to know what he's doing about future multiversal attacks. When she leaves, President Ellis brings up a virtual fortress in the Oval Office, and he and Kalex determine the location of their Lex Luthor, who was developing ways to travel to other universes. In costume, they break into his lair, only to find Lex dead, and plans that make it clear he designed the shuttle they are investigating. Someone killed him for it. Back on Earth-Zero, Agent Chase and Bones are arguing over the mission. We see Alan Scott and Obsidian locked up with Extract, the woman going around and removing beings that shouldn't exist, taking them onto a shuttle. Bones explains that the world is constantly under attack and cannot survive another multiversal event. This is accompanied by a splash page of holographic figures of the various crossovers, Elseworlds, and crises. We also learn that Chase survived the Captain Adam explosion by having Extract do her bit. 
When Bones tells her they need to get off the shuttle before it leaves, she shoots him in the leg instead. You don't understand. It's a place of endings. You've doomed us, Chase. Now, I'm just going to interject here that at this point when I was reading the comic, it reminded me so much of the Loki TV series and the um, the variants and that Absolutely, sort of thing. Absolutely, yes. So back to the comic. We cut to another shuttle in the bleed with Roy Harper, Black Lantern versus the new Infinity Incorporated. Jane managed to talk him down and we get some exposition about heroes returning then being nabbed. There's a signal from another shuttle to meet up, which they do on Earth Omega. We see shadow demons flash on the hamster wheel and psycho pirate. Most of them want to retreat and get back up, but Roy wants to find out if his daughter Leon is down there. The two ships collide and crash. Back to Justice League Incarnate, where Machine Head has nearly rebuilt the original blown-up shuttle. Harbinger is asked about recent multiversal travel, but denies the request. President Superman overrides her and gets the message from Flash that death follows us again. During this, Thomas brings up info on the various Bruce Reigns and realizes he didn't beat him. He came back stronger. He had his family with him. Plans are made to attack Earth Omega and call in everyone. Instead, Machine Head attacks the others, and we learn his deal. My world, Earth-8, was invaded by an alternate reality. We tried to fight the war in secret, but ultimately, we lost. I lost. For years, I questioned how. And all of the signals pointed to one place, Earth-0. He plans to make sure the worlds remain separate, and there are others that agree with him. Cut to a final splash page with the new Injustice, all from various worlds and continuities. The 90s version of Fate... A Yellow Lantern Joker, Dr. Savannah, Superwoman, Lady Quark, Magog, and Super Doom. Crime Syndicate number 6 of 6 by Schmidt, McKeon, Hitch, Vines, Olaf, and Sinclair. Owlman and Atomica, along with LexCorp shuttles, return to Earth from the ruined Luthor satellite. Meanwhile, Ultraman and Ultra Girl duke it out in Metropolis. Power Ring, Superwoman, and Sinestro have also landed on Demon's Island, a.k.a. Themyscira. The latter two are in green construct chains. When the Amazons attack, Power Ring destroys them. Sinestro uses his ring to cut off Power Ring's finger so that the ring's influence is also cut off. It appears Sinestro and Power Ring will work together before Power Ring kills him too. He no longer needs the actual ring. Superwoman and Power Ring go off to help Ultraman before Ultra Girl collapses and dies. Atomica got into her brain and wiped it out. Afterward, new alliances are born, Owlman activates the Talons, and the Crime Syndicate is together again. The Gotham Gazette's headline, Crime Syndicate to Earth, Shut Up and Do As We Say or Else. The backup story shows Atomica's origin. She and Johnny Quick broke into Choi Technologies' lab, stole a formula, and she drank it. Cut to Atomica today, about to torture a bound Lex Luthor. This was an interesting take on Earth-3. We'll see if it stays in continuity, such as it is, or not. I just hate continuity. <laughs> Challenge of the Super Sons, number 5 of 7, by Tomasi, Rayner, Stanley, and Guerrero. We begin with Aquaman, who is being checked out by EMTs after a fight. He explains that he suddenly had a panic attack in the water. Of course, this is John and Damien's doing. They had to save him from death without telling him about it per the death scroll. So Damien swiped the custom-made version of Scarecrow's fear toxin that Bruce made in case Aquaman went evil and used it on him. This allowed the boys to fight the intended attacker, a Kraken-like creature that kills with poison. 
Damien used the toxin on it, and it panics as well. In the end, Aquaman is found unconscious on a dock, and the Kraken is bottled up. So now we're down to the last two on the hit list, which they assume will be their dads. Instead, it's the boys. Cut to 1521 and the slave Cora, who just saved the boys from Felix Faust and Vandal Savage. There's some timey-wimey explanations about what's going on, and John decides to trust her, Damien not so much. They go to her enchanted treehouse, actually under a tree, where they have to deal with an ogre. Unfortunately, Savage and Faust are watching their every move, and Savage is ready to kill them now. The Unbelievable Unteens, number one from Dark Horse by Lemire and Crook. Another book from the world of Black Hammer, this one a take on the Teen Titans. We begin with Jane Ito, a comic book artist, trying to make ends meet, doing commissions at Comic-Cons. She's nice to her fans, but her life sucks. After a night of slaving away at her art in a tiny apartment, she gets a visit from one of her characters. It's Jack Sabbath, and he's been watching her. She assumes it's a crazy cosplayer who broke in, but he phases through the floor. He's the real thing, a ghost. He calls her Strobe and explains that her comic book is about a real team and she was on it. He found a copy of the book in a ghostly library and suddenly realized that his dreams were based on a reality. He takes her to their lair, Moniker Mansion, now all decrepit. She was Strobe, the living light, along with Straka, a rock being, Kid Boom with glowing hands, and Snapdragon, a telepath. Snapdragon's dad had brought them together, so there's a whole X-Men vibe here as well. A final adventure, the White Wraith Saga, apparently wiped out the team and made Jane lose her memories. It's from an idea she had if she ever wanted to end the comic. Jane is not okay with all of this. She has a life. Also, she's 28, no longer a teen. Jack wants to get the band back together, of course, and needs her help to find them. Jack feels he's responsible as he damned Snapdragon, the love of his life, to hell. Jane refused to get involved, gets angry, and starts glowing. We're big Black Hammer fans, and it's great to see another part of the universe explored. The Dreaming, Waking Hours number 12, from DC Dark Horse by Wilson, Robles, and Lopez. In this final issue, (laughs) everything gets wrapped up in a neat package, maybe too neat, It didn't bode well for the stories from this line. The ex-lord and Lady of Fairy debate if they were the ones who should rebuild, but when Heather suggests they hold elections, they laugh. The sorcerer would have us give the gnomes and harpies a vote? How very droll. So Heather and the angel head out. When the lord asks about her promise, she notes that she'd trap their enemy. Anything else is stuff you need to work out amongst your damn selves. Back in New Jersey, Ruin returns to the apartment, asking the roommate to use the artifact to send him back to save Heather, who obviously doesn't need saving. He's convinced he's evil and can never meet his dream man. Speaking of him, the nurse stops by. She needs his spare key. Turns out both the angel and Heather have given fate a little shove to bring Ruin and his dream man together. Back to the roommate, about to use the artifact when there's a knock on the door. Ruin and the dream man meet. Meanwhile, Heather and the angel are falling through space on their way back to Earth. The angel is convinced he's doomed himself by getting involved in ruin, but it turns into his ticket back to heaven. He ascends and she falls and is back in the apartment with the others. Ruin turkets left to dreaming so they could spend some time together before Dream steps in. He decides it's too dangerous for the two lovers to be together and is about to send them back to their own lives. Instead, Ruin takes them back to the apartment, 
grabs Heather, and returns. He begs Heather to go up against Dream. Heather reminds Dream that he made a promise, but Dream dismisses and about to destroy her. The Dream Man steps in, explaining that Rune is not evil, and Dream agrees. You are not evil. You are necessary. Regardless, Dream is about to separate them when Heather starts a spell so powerful that it worries him. She got it from her great-grandmother and Burgess's girlfriend. Dream relents but notes that true love is rarely the happy ending of any story. And the couple goes back to Earth anyway. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.